Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. The impeachment hearing is going into day two today of the official presentation of the case. It's really day three of, you know, the whole media thing. And barring any changes, I'm probably not going to be carrying most of it during the show today. In fact, we may not carry any of it. We'll see. Because what they're going to be doing is doing a deep dive into these very technical issues. Yesterday, the narrative was presented to the jury. And I'm going to go through that in just a minute, what, you know, what was presented yesterday. And Trump's response, which has not yet been done on the floor of the Senate, but is being done on Facebook, in email, in fundraising, things and like that. We'll get into that. And then today and tomorrow, they're doing the kind of deep dive into each one of the individual pieces of evidence that might prove that Trump committed these crimes. And or the specific crime, this attempted bribery and extortion, this attempted shakedown. And so I think, you know, today is the kind of thing where certainly if I was home and I had nothing else to do, I would be watching it and listening to it. But I'm inclined myself to think that given the nature of what is supposed to be presented today, and, you know, that may change. And if it does, we'll, you know, something, you know, really good comes along. We'll certainly pop it up and play it live for you. But I'll be fine reading the summaries basically. And I'll be providing you with the summaries as it goes along. So a couple of points for today that I just want to, you know, kind of set the table with. And if you want to call on any of these things, obviously, that I'm talking about, that's kind of our rule here, try to stay on topic. But we're also talking about the impeachment hearings. In fact, you know, I'm going to get into that in just a moment. So first off, this rather scary story coming out of China in Wuhan, where this virus apparently jumped from an animal to a human and now is jumping from human to human. So we may be looking at a new SARS kind of outbreak, which was rather nasty. This is something that we all need to keep an eye on. Wuhan's a city of 11 million people. And right now, 17 people are dead. Over 600 are infected in China. Plus, there's uh, infections that have shown up in Taiwan and in Thailand and one other Asian country. I don't recall which one. And the United States. We've got a guy in, up in Seattle or near Seattle who's in a hospital right now with this infection. Now, that's kind of the bad news. And in fact, they're using a robot to treat the guy up in Seattle. The good news appears to be, to the extent that you could call it good news, is that like some flu viruses, this virus seems to be fairly selective. You know, you, there are some flus that, that particularly hit kids and kill children. There are other flus that particularly hit elderly people and kill them. There, we had a flu three or four years ago that particularly hit people in their 40s and 50s and 30s, you know, in their mid-years. Well, this particular coronavirus seems to hit men who are elderly and in poor health. And arguably, that's good news. I mean, obviously, if you're male and elderly and in poor health, it's not good news. But epidemiologically, you know, for the possibility of this repeating like the 1918 flu pandemic, in which 500 million people were infected and 50 million died around the world, 675,000 people in 1918 in the United States died of that flu. Just think about that for a minute, 675,000 people. 
And by the way, in 1918, the population of the United States was only about 100 million people. It was a third of what it is right now. That was like 7% of the U.S. population died. That would be like 2.5 million or 2.1 million today. So that, that would be a bad thing, right? Well, it looks like this particular virus is nowhere near as virulent as the 1918 flu. So, you know, to the extent that there is good news about this, that's, I suppose, the good news. And it appears that they've nailed down where it came from. It came from what's called a warm meat market. And a warm meat market, I've walked through these places. I've, uh, in fact, I, in one of the novels that I wrote, which was never published, I, it takes place in Taiwan. And Louise and I walked through the night market in Taipei you know, when we were doing research for the book. And it's just amazing. I mean, you, it's, it's, a, it's an outdoor marketplace where people have built stalls and booths that have little canopies over them. You know, it's, it's like going from tent to tent sort of thing with open faces. And in the back is the stuff that they're selling, and then they're in the middle kind of shouting at you. And in one, there's cages of dogs, and the dogs are scared because they're for meat. And in the next one, there's cages of exotic animals that you don't even know what they are. And in the next one, there's cages of uh, frogs. There was a whole place full of frogs. Another one that was nothing but fish. Another one that was snakes. And there was a guy with cobras. And he was taking the cobras, and he'd pull them out of the thing, and he would milk them into a cup, and he'd pour a couple of drops into a half a dozen shot glasses and then add a liquor to it, and he was selling those mostly to older men. It's supposed to be an aphrodisiac. Just behind the market was the red light district. So these men would come and get their snake venom, and then they'd go you know, off and rent somebody. And then they would slit the snake down the stomach and catch its blood, and they would sell the blood mixed with liquor for about half the price of the venom to... I guess men who thought the blood was just as good or couldn't afford the venom. And I mean, we stood there and watched this. And then they would sell the snake as meat. And apparently it was snakes in Wuhan, Wuhan who were carrying this virus. That's the best guess right now. So these open air, these so-called warm meat markets where they were literally like, if you wanted dog meat, you'd pick out the dog you want. And they'll kill it for you right there. They, they slaughter it, they'll skin it, pack it up and, and give it to you. And you know, people stand around and watch. And there was one particularly tragic one. There were monkeys in a cage, and they were selling the monkeys for meat. And these monkeys looked, they were small. I don't know what kind of monkeys. They, they looked kind of like maquets, M-A-Q, whatever. You could just see the humanity in their eyes. I mean, we share almost all of our DNA with them. And they knew what was going on. They could, they could smell the death around them. So anyhow, these are the markets. I don't know if China's ever going to ban these kind of markets. I mean, this was back in the 80s when Louise and I walked through the one in Taipei, Taiwan. I don't know if it's even still there. They, they used to have markets similar to this in Bangkok, Thailand as well, where Louise and I have also been. And, you know, and I'm guessing probably 50, 80 years ago they had them in Japan. They don't anymore. And South Korea, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's kind of where Europe was maybe 100, 100 years ago, you know, with open-air meat markets. And you say, okay, I'll take that one. I'll take that pig, and they'll slaughter it for you right on the spot. I mean... This is how societies, as they become more prosperous, marketplaces like this become less visible and, and eventually go away. And, you know, China's going to have to hit that post, I think, pretty soon, because uh, this is, what, the third time one of these diseases has come out? There was a, a bird flu that came out of there once, and then, of course, there was SARS, and that was from civet cats, and now we've got this uh, Wuhan virus, this coronavirus, which is apparently from snakes. And, uh, you know, not good stuff. These are called zoonotic diseases, where humans get diseases from animals. And then, but, but now it's transferred from human to human. Today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Animal Kind, Remarkable Discoveries About Animals and Revolutionary Ways to Show Them Compassion by Ingrid Newkirk and Jean Stone. This is from the very first chapter. Researchers at Germany's Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology were dumbfounded. The excitement wasn't over a new fossil or the discovery of a previously unknown human ancestor. It was over Rico, a border collie. In experiments conducted in 2004, the very normal-seeming 10-year-old canine had learned to fetch more than 200 objects on command, and moreover, remembered them all a month later. 
Determined to discover the limits of Rico's abilities, the research team subjected him to a battery of cognitive tests that revealed astounding problem-solving abilities. Rico could easily retrieve from another room items he was familiar with, but when told to retrieve a new item, one he had never heard before, Rico correctly deduced that the unknown name must correspond with an unknown object and correctly retrieved it. The Border Collie's cognitive abilities were subsequently compared to that of apes, dolphins, parrots, and eventually human children. Researchers often end up comparing their animal subjects' intelligence to humans, but is intelligence truly easy to compare animal to human or even animal to animal? If Rico could use the process of elimination to correctly fetch a tennis ball, does that make him smarter than an Arctic tern who journeys 44,000 miles each year between the North and South Poles? Is a piano-playing cat more intelligent than a chimpanzee who shares 99% of her DNA with humans and can learn sign language? Comparing the intelligence of animals is, in fact, no easier than comparing the intelligence of humans. Who's smarter, Aristotle or Plato? Newton or Einstein? Monet or Manet? The red-lipped batfish or Chinese giant salamanders? The Indian elephant or the African elephant? In the end, ranking the relative intelligence of animals is a futile exercise. What's more, a recent study found that less than 15% of the estimated 9 million species on Earth have been discovered. Who knows what fantastical creatures reside at our ocean's crushing depths, soar high in the stratosphere, or creep deep in the densest jungles? What fantastic intelligence do they display? Or, more so, what fantastic intelligence we can't even comprehend? We often consider intelligence as the only factor in determining which animals deserve compassion and which don't. Yet we're still so limited in our understanding of human intelligence that it makes little sense to calibrate our animal brethren based on how similar their brains are to ours. Or perhaps you could say it's simply not an intelligent way to determine importance. The goal of this book is not to merely question that superiority or to show that animals think and act like us. It's to show how they do not and to honor those differences. How can anyone compare the mental faculties of a gibbon vaulting through the forest with a giant blue whale singing through the deepest oceans? Different animals excel at different actions. As we'll see in this book, animals think, navigate, communicate, love, and play in extraordinarily unique ways. However, for many years, scientists believed that intelligence was indeed all that mattered when it came to animals, and that intelligence consisted of a continuum with humans at the most developed end. Every other species could fit neatly into that spectrum, a concept heralded by the great naturalist Charles Darwin, who wrote in his 1871 book, The Descent of Man, that, quote, the difference in mind between man and the higher animals, great as it is, certainly is one of degree and not of kind, end quote. In essence, Darwin meant that because all animals share a common ancestor, they also share the same toolkit of mental abilities, but at different levels. Not a new idea. 2,400 years ago, Aristotle presented his idea of natural ladder, or scala natura. Like Darwin, Aristotle advanced that all life could be conveniently ranked with lesser animals, like worms, on one end, intermediate animals, like dogs and cats, in the middle, and higher animals, such as monkeys and humans, at the far end. During the Middle Ages, Christian theologians expanded on Aristotle's teachings with the great chain of being, a hierarchical scale that began with God at the very top, followed by angels, humans, other animals, plants, and then minerals. Each layer of the chain also had its own hierarchy. Among humans, for instance, kings, aristocrats, and other noblemen were at the top, while peasants were relegated to the bottom. The highest-ranking animals were large carnivores, like lions and tigers, who were untrainable and therefore seen as superior to docile animals like dogs and horses. Even insects were subdivided, with honey-producing bees ranked higher than mosquitoes and plant-eating beetles. Finally, at the very bottom sat snakes, their lowly station, a result of the serpent's deception in the Garden of Eden. Even throughout the 20th century, scientists clung to the notion that animals could be neatly ranked by their human intelligence. Scientists devised increasingly cruel experiments that could serve as universal tests for animal cognition, many of them led by University of Wisconsin-Madison psychologist Harry Harlow. Previously, Harlow was best known for a series of experiments from the 1950s in which he removed infant rhesus monkeys from their mothers and provided them surrogate mothers made from wire. The traumatized monkeys' desperate attempts to be caressed by their inanimate mothers during times of stress became the basis for research into maternal separation, dependency needs, and social isolations.
Many historians cite Harlow as a factor in the rise of subsequent animal liberation movements. Animal Kind is the book by Newkirk and Stone. Twenty twenty, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com/begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than one hundred of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates, so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address: ZipRecruiter.com/begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com/b-e-g-i-n. ZipRecruiter.com/begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. So some of the arguments that have been made on Fox News and in public and on TV and whatnot about Donald Trump and his corruption, his attempted corruption of the government of Ukraine to help his presidential campaign. One of the arguments that's been made is that Trump was merely doing his job as president of the United States, making sure that the money appropriated by Congress for Ukraine was distributed to a government that was not corrupt. In other words, he was acting in his official capacity as president to prevent corruption in Ukraine. That's their argument. The letter that Rudy Giuliani carried that he gave to President Zelensky, dated May 10th, 2019, that letter said, I am, he identified himself as private counsel to Trump. Quote, just to be precise, I represent him as a private citizen, not as president of the United States. This is quite common under American law because the duties and privileges of a president and a private citizen are not the same. End quote. So here we have Trump's lawyer and and you know, partner in crime, Rudy Giuliani, coming right out and saying he's not trying to do this as president. He's trying to do this as Donald Trump, candidate for president or whatever. It's personal. So how do the Republicans respond to this? Well, I've got a, a couple of responses. And, and I saw this on Fox News last night several times. Was deny military aid? Yeah, of course he denied military See, they're moving from the deny everything. And where I predict they're going to end up is where Mick Mulvaney was with his press conference. Yes, we withheld the money. We did it because we wanted something from them. That's normal. That's always done. That's, you know, get over it. That's where they're going to end up. And they're moving in this direction really rapidly with this argument that Obama withheld funds from Egypt and a couple of other countries as well that were in the middle of, you know, turmoil and civil wars and things. But Egypt specifically is the one that they point to. And Obama did withhold funds from Egypt. He actually did. Congress appropriated money to give to Egypt, and President Obama said, nope, we're going to stop it right here. Now, what's the difference between Obama doing that and Trump doing that with Ukraine? Well, Obama, first of all, made a public announcement that we were withholding the funds. He then essentially turned over to Congress, you know, after he made the public pronouncement. And Lindsey Graham went on the floor of the Senate to talk about how the funds had to be withheld. Now, why did that happen? Well, because there had been a military coup in Egypt. The government that we had appropriated the money for, a democratically elected government, was replaced by al-Sisi, the, the military dictator who's now running Egypt. And we didn't want to give you know, money that was supposed to go to a democracy to a country that had just become a military dictatorship. So this was done right out in the open. It was done with the agreement of Congress. And even Lindsey Graham was one of the more outspoken people in favor of Obama withholding funds from Egypt. But Trump's withholding funds from Ukraine, that was done in secret. It was done specifically to get Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden, whereas Obama's withholding of funds from Egypt had nothing to do with asking for any favors from Egypt other than maybe becoming a democracy. But, you know, there it is, right? So just to recap, we start out, Giuliani has been promoting these Ukraine-based conspiracy theories for over a year now. 
Donald Trump explicitly and specifically directed Giuliani to go to Ukraine and get dirt on, on Joe Biden. We know this from multiple documents. And this wasn't just Trump and Giuliani. It also included Trump Jr. Giuliani wrote to Ukraine's president to request a meeting and said unequivocally, I'm doing this as personal counsel to the president. Giuliani said he convinced Trump to remove Marie Yovanovitch, the, our ambassador to Ukraine, because she was blocking his efforts. I mean, Giuliani was right up front. We've got to get rid of this ambassador. She's pointing out that we're, we're hustlers and liars. Ukraine believed that Giuliani, even though he was acting as the personal lawyer for the president, was in fact an important person. They had to talk to him if they wanted to get Trump to release that money and those weapons. You know, and Trump told Zelensky eight different times during one phone call to open investigations into Biden and to work with Giuliani. Eight times. And Trump is still tweeting, read the transcript. It was a perfect phone call. Right. This from the Trump-Pence campaign. Fred! Oh, that would be Fred, Mr. Fred Flintstone. Fred, three years ago, I was sworn in as the 45th president of the United States of America, and I have been fighting for you every day since. The Democrats are trying to take us down. Now, keep in mind, millions of people got this email. The Senate began their bogus impeachment trial. We'll look at my, and this is in all caps, perfect phone call. The left's entire scam is based off of hearsay, not facts, and it should never have gotten this far. But it looks like it's going to take more than just the truth to get through their tiny brains. So we're going to have to do something big to get their attention. I want to raise $2 million in the next 24 hours to show the left that the American people want this witch hunt to end. Only you can end this scam, Fred. There's never been a more critical time to contribute than today. Crushing this goal is so critical that we will be double matching all contributions made in the next 24 hours. And then it's got all the little buttons where you can contribute. Okay. Then I get this from the White House. This is from the official White House. Five times Adam Schiff just totally made it up today is the headline. And then they give uh, four bullet points. <laughs> Schiff number one. This is the argument that uh, I'm assuming this will be the arguments that uh, Sekolo and company will be making tomorrow or day after tomorrow when they begin their presentation. This is certainly the argument that the White House is trying to make right now, and you're hearing this all over Fox News. Schiff claims that President Trump endorsed the theory that Russia did not interfere in the 2016 election. Fact. President Trump has publicly said very clearly that he accepts the conclusion of the intelligence community that Russia interfered in 2016. Well, Schiff is not saying that Trump endorsed the theory that Russia did not interfere in the election. What Schiff is saying is that Trump is trying to shift some of the blame away from Russia to Ukraine by coming up with this theory that it was actually Ukraine that hacked the server, the DNC server, which is only part of the interference. So, you know, their first bullet point is BS. It's a lie. Yeah, the second one, Schiff says that President Trump withheld an Oval Office meeting from President Zelensky. Fact. President Trump invited President Zelensky to the White House with no preconditions on three occasions, April 21, May 29, and July 25. They met at the first opportunity of the U.N. General Assembly. Well, if Trump invited Zelensky to the White House, why has he not been there? I just, you know, this is just simply on its face, not credible. Number three, Schiff once again brought up claims of a quid pro quo. Fact. Notice what's not in the Democrats' articles of impeachment. Allegations or accusations of a quid pro quo. They can't include that claim because no such arrangement existed. Well, that's, again, a, just a naked, bald-faced lie that is going out to Republicans and to the media all across the country. Tens of millions of you know, people on the mailing list of the White House and the Republican Party. It's a lie. Yeah, the words quid pro quo do not exist in the impeachment document. But they make it very clear that what they're impeaching him for is abusing his power by withholding military aid until he gets a thing of value, which is, by the way, the definition of bribery, from a foreign country that will help Trump in an election here, which, by the way, is a violation of our election laws. And if that's not a quid pro quo, I don't know what is. And then finally, bonus, Schiff completely misrepresented what acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney said about foreign policy. Right. 
And then they go on. For years, Schiff lied about the Russia hoax, claiming there was evidence of collusion, only to be proven wrong by the Mueller report. Uh, no, read the Mueller report. This time, House Democrats learned their lesson. Why risk the facts? Letting the facts get their way. See, they're, they're out there. They are stirring the pot really, really hard. But there is damning evidence that they can't cover it up. There's a couple of news stories that have really flown below the radar. This is from MSN, Microsoft Network, Microsoft's news division, as it were. And the headline kind of says it all. Hackers may have gained almost total control of an election server in Georgia during the last election. So anyway, a lot going on. Let's get into the conversation here. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's up? Hi, Tom. Yeah, that virus scared me last night when I heard that story, but that's not why I called. Mm -hmm. I called because this sham of a trial, it's just an absurdity. But here's the one thing that I've noticed about Republicans. They are willing to discount and just overlook what Alexander Hamilton said in the Constitution. But boy, when it comes to the Second Amendment, they're right on it. They don't have any problem with that amendment. Well, and they don't interpret that the way that it was written or the, for the reason that it was written. I mean, it's just right. it's crazy. I know. I know. But the, actually, the main reason I called was uh, it's about Justice Roberts. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you were aware of this or not, but we may have a glimmer of hope with Justice Roberts because he was trained at Harvard by Lawrence Tribe. And... I'm familiar with Lawrence Tribe, and he's very, very much for this impeachment and very, very much aware that this was an illegal act that he committed by withholding that money from the Ukraine. Yeah, and so Lawrence... I think we may have a, a, some hope there. Yeah, and Lawrence Tribe is the guy who he was accredited with having found that clip of Alan Dershowitz back in 1998 or 1999, yes. I guess, during the Clinton impeachment, saying that, you know, you yeah. can impeach him, you don't need a crime. Whether he found it or whether he popularized it, I don't know. But, you know, he's out there pushing that or, you know, promoting it, sharing it with people. And it's a good thing. Yeah, um, I have a lot of respect for Lawrence Tribe. And that, I think that at the impeachment trial, they ought to play both the 1998 speech by Dershowitz and the one he made this week, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, think it's absurd. Increasingly, they're starting to. I mean, these guys are just complete hypocrites, and it's becoming fairly obvious. Yeah. Carol, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Jessica in Hinsdale, Illinois. Hey, Jessica, what's up? Hi. I called with the same beliefs as you. I can no longer watch CNN or MSNBC. They're letting the Republicans say all their BS. And the Republicans are just planning on dismissing this trial, and I think they're going to get away with it. If by chance four Republicans do have the nerve to stand up against Trump and his mafia, then the Republicans are planning on witnesses testifying behind closed doors. Right. And the testimony will never see the light of day. Oh, I the agree. Republicans, the Republicans want to sneak it in at late hours of the night so the public doesn't watch it. And Trump's justice system never wanted anything to do with Lev Parnas. He has too much to say to come out. So they never had a plan for him. They only indicted him on the campaign charges. And Lev Parnas probably came forward because he feared for his life. Yep. He wanted it to be known on the news, all the coups that he had. Because it was out there, and he knew it would never see the light of day either. Right, and now he's and, saying that he's more afraid of Bill Barr than he is of the gangsters in Ukraine or Russia. Exactly. Which is and amazing. The worst thing, I'm so proud of you for writing about the voting. Worst thing of all, Ivanka Trump has voting machines that she's patented through China. I know. Their plan is to corrupt the vote online. How can that be Legal. I'm the guessing you're going to start seeing Ivanka Trump branded voting machines showing up in Turkey, in Hungary, in Poland, in the here. Philippines. You know, whether they're going to be here or not, I don't know. But here, I've always been suspicious of these voting machines. But the main thing that is yeah. obvious. 
Yeah, is that, is, that, is that they're throwing people off the voting rolls. They're using voter suppression. But, Jessica, your points are all well made. Thank you. And that's really the issue. Ivan in Porter Ridge, California. Hey, Ivan, what's up? Good morning, Tom. Hey. I had a question. I've been listening to you since the first time you were in Oregon and moved to D.C. in a boat. I mean, this is the first time that you really kind of got me to call. Thank you. Uh, my question is... The senators like Lindsey Graham and McConnell who have said that they are not interested in being an impartial juror, right. is there a way in the Senate or the rules or some other mechanism to disqualify them and remove them from being able to be a part of the process? That could only be done by a vote of the majority of the Senate, Ivan, and that's not going to happen. Okay. I think in the court of public opinion, they've been discredited already, but the court of public opinion, at, at least among moderates, independents, Democrats, but the hardcore Republicans, that little base, that 20 to 30% base that gets most of their news from Fox News, right-wing sites on Facebook and right-wing talk media, that little group, you know, they don't care. They are behaving in a totally tribal fashion. Trump is our tribe. We support him. We don't care what he did, period. Everybody else is evil people. That's my father. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Ivan, thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you. Rich in Calumet, Michigan. Hey, Rich, what's up? Well, I'll tell you, this whole thing has just got me completely mind boggled. You know, I lived through Nixon, and now I'm watching another person come and try to turn our country into a dictatorship. And, you know, I had a rough childhood, not to go into my childhood, but I figure the way they did things way back in the 70s, if they're able to get away with the crap that they were doing back then, that when we got to where we are today, you know, the sky's the limit. And, you know, I'm on disability, so my fear is that (laughs) next year I'll lose my house, my insurance, my everything. And I'm wondering how many hundreds of thousands of other people out there in the same shoes like me going, oh my God, what the heck are we supposed to do? Right, and you're talking about Trump's changes to the disability rules, so you have to requalify every six oh, months yeah. instead and, of every and, few and years. all kinds of rules. It's like, yeah. it's amazing well, the crap and, he's getting away with. And look at what they're doing. The Interior Department is basically giving away public lands to people who want to mine it. The EPA is approving pesticides, hundreds of pesticides that are banned in other countries that we know cause cancer. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But with regard to health care... The things that they've cut from me already, my health has deteriorated this year compared to last year. I used to get a fairly decent enough money, food money to eat, where now I can't. They cut food stamps. I mean, literally, I'm barely surviving. Rich, I wish you the very best, and thank you for sharing your story with people. It's a real one. You know, Rich is confronting the possibility of losing benefits and apparently has already lost some, and he's on disability. And people who are not disabled, I mean, disabled people are a minority in our population. People who are not disabled are sitting around going, well, you know, that's just for disabled people. I, you know, Social Security disability, well, that's not, I don't have to worry about that. A You may be that person one of these days. I mean, you're literally one bad car accident away from it. Or one serious illness that that leaves you debilitated. But B, what Trump is doing right now with the Supreme Court, trying to strike down Obamacare and do away with the ban on pre-existing conditions, do away with the ban on lifetime caps, do away with the provisions of Obamacare that are protecting you if you're an average person who is not disabled. Trump is trying to do to us, to all of us, what he's also trying to do to disabled people. This is just cruelty on steroids. It's like they must sit around and and giggle and rub their hands together. Betsy DeVos, oh, we're going to tear apart the public schools. (laughs) And, you know, Wilbur Ross, oh, we're going to screw with the banking rules. (laughs) And Ben Carson, oh, we're going to throw some people out of public housing. (laughs) I mean, it's just... It's just incredible. And then we try to hold this guy to account. Oh, you can't do that. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Yes. His Highness Donald Trump shall not be questioned. Remember what Stephen Miller said? He shall not be questioned. That's how these guys believe. 
Lee in Tallahassee. Hey, Lee, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'll tell you what's happening to my country is breaking my heart. Me too. This trial is such a farce. I wish that you could address the Senate. If anybody could get to them, it would be you. Well, let's say a prayer for the House impeachment managers, those seven brave individuals presenting the case to the Senate, members of the House of Representatives, and just hold them in light and send them as much energy and good vibes as we can and whatever works for you, because I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I'm not going to be in the Senate. But, I'll be right here ranting. Tom, none of them, I have never heard any of them speak the way you do. They just don't seem to have the knowledge necessary to really fight this. Well, the thing is, you know, political theater seems to work on the Republican side. You get the Gymnasium Jordans and the Mark Meadows and, you know, these guys, Ratcliffe and whatnot, who can do the fist pounding and, you know, kind of belt it out. On the Democratic side, that doesn't sell so well to Democratic voters. Democratic voters want somebody who's thoughtful, who's knowledgeable, who is going to do a good job as an administrator or as a representative, who's going to represent them well. And it's a different thing. And so as a consequence, the GOP has a whole bunch of bombastic you know, bomb throwers in it, and the Democratic Party doesn't. And I'm putting myself in that category. You know, I know how to belt out a show. I know how to be outraged and let it show show. I occasionally see Adam Schiff getting a little bit of that. And Hakeem Jeffries is one of the impeachment managers. He can do it. You know, he's such a brilliant orator. He's one of the very best. So I'm encouraged by the fact that he's there. Val Demings knows how to take names and kick ass, too. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. The other thing that concerns me is that Lev Parnas, is, his allegations are out there. But Adam Schiff, who runs the Intelligence Committee, who should be questioning him in public hearings right now, instead is over at the Senate presenting the case of the House. Although I guess you could argue that Lev Parnas's evidence has all been presented already on uh, Rachel Maddow's show. And then after that, he went on uh, CNN with Anderson Cooper. But I don't know. We'll see. I have watched every single thing, every single debate, every single hearing, everything. And mm -hmm. I have not seen the kind of fight necessary to confront the Republicans. I don't understand why they aren't fighting every day. Why aren't they putting out commercials showing what Trump is doing, showing what Trump has said? Yeah. I don't understand. Well, Lee, the Democratic Party is more of a... It is not a bunch of people all saluting the same leader. You know, it's like if the Republican Party is dogs, the Democratic Party is cats. And they don't herd well. Lily, <laughs> I got to run, but thank you for the call. I, you know, I, I would like to see a little more fire and brimstone coming out of them, too. I really would. Nancy in Huntsville, Alabama. Hey, Nancy, what's up? Hey, Tom. Well, it looks like I'm really going to just pick up where your last caller left. And the Republicans are the onus of all that's going on. Trump is just there to, you know, make us yell and scream at him. Yes, I think he's Trump is a symptom, not the cause. I mean, he, he is becoming a cause in many areas, but he's basically a symptom of the deterioration of the Republican Party that started in 1981. Correct. Correct. I agree with that. But, I mean, I just don't see enough people calling their representatives calling them out, beating them up at town halls. We got to we got to put the onus on the Republicans. Yeah, there you go. So, I, I agree, Nancy. And, and I hope I'm doing a good job of that here. Nancy, thank you for the call. Chris in upstate New York, it says here you disagree with me, Chris. What about what? Yeah, Tom, a first time caller. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. And I don't know really where to begin. But to repute a couple of your previous callers, this is a farce. And it started with the House of Representatives. They held witnesses who never got to see the light of day. A lot of the Republican Congress. What are you talking about? In are you talking about Gordon Sondland? No. He gave testimony on his broadcast all across America. Are you talking about Fiona Hill? Her testimony was all across America. I mean, what witness? Please let me finish. Let me finish, William. Then I'll give you a chance. No, I'm asking you. You just made an assertion. You said that the Democrats in the House had witnesses that they buried. Who? 
Name one. No, they had secret hearings that Republican congressmen were not allowed. That is a lie, Chris. That is an absolute no. lie. The Republicans were there. There were no secret hearings that only the Democrats held. They were not, Zero. They were not, there were congressmen who were not. There was a bunch of congressmen standing out who were not allowed in one hearing. They were, the, the ones who were not allowed in the hearings were the ones who were not part of the committee. When the Judiciary Committee was holding hearings, when the Intelligence Committee was holding, what you're talking about is when the Intelligence Committee was holding a hearing and when they were deposing witnesses, and this was, by the way, this was Sondland and Hill. First, you listen to them in private session because there's a whole bunch of classified information in there. That room was filled with every single Democrat from the Intelligence Committee and every single Republican from the Intelligence Committee. A bunch of Republicans who were not on the committee stood outside the door, made a big noise, burst into the room with their cell phone cameras running, but they were not part of the committee. There okay. was 50-50 okay. Democrats and Republicans. Chris, okay. you have been sold a lie by somebody. Okay, let me just bring one other fact. When Adam Schiff read the transcript of the phone call, tell me he did not embellish it at all. Seven or eight he said he did, Chris. He said he did. He said in this transcript, what Trump essentially was saying was, and then he makes his sarcastic comment about, hey, you know, hey, a nice little country you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. That, again, Chris, is a lie. Adam Schiff never, ever represented Trump as specifically saying those things. He said it's as if he was saying this. Again, you're yeah. being fed BS by somebody, Chris. I don't know if, if it's on some of the right-wing channels there or where, but that's a lie, too. Adam Schiff never lied about what Donald Trump said. He represented it. No, he, just, he shared he his opinion it, of what it said. Every, and by the way, the Republicans have been doing the same thing. They've been saying, well, Trump never said anything wrong. What Trump said was just wonderful. They, you know, they represent what Trump said, too. These, these, these right-wing talking points are just crazy. And Chris just hung up the phone. Um, <laughs> well, what was it Harry Truman said? If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Pam in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Mr. Hartman. Hi, Pam. I'm calling to thank you for correcting the man that phoned with all that error. Yeah. I am so sick of people who are allow these people to go on and on saying things that are not true and not letting the people listening know that what they're saying is not true. Yeah, I don't know if you heard, but, uh, but Pat Cipollone at the bottom of the hour, around uh, 30 minutes, 31 minutes past the hour, uh, when he was testify or when he was doing his rant, he's this is Trump's lawyer. He repeated one of those lies. He said Adam Schiff read to the House what he asserted to be Donald Trump's you know words from Donald Trump's uh, telephone call, but they weren't. He was lying, and Schiff made it very clear that this was Schiff's interpretation of Trump, not Trump. Yeah, right. And you know which anybody's entitled to do. So the lying show rolls on, Pam. Yes, I can see that. But thank you. Thank you, Pam. And thank you for all that you do also. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call and thank you for your kind words. Deb in Saginaw, Michigan. Hey, Deb, what's on your mind today? I want to say that I had debate in high school. And Me too. watching these two debates was like watching a first-year novice Class C school team debate an Ivy League school senior law school team. Because the Republicans thought they were going to have a debate on process. They were completely unprepared for this. I mean, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer set this thing up and shoved it right down the, uh, you know, whatever metaphor you want, a baseball, right down, you know, line drive, whatever. It was amazing. Absolutely no contest. Absolutely no contest. It was, but then you have to think of the Republican rule of thought. They don't think they've got to do anything because Mitch McConnell's got everybody under his wing. Right. So they don't really care. They yeah. just don't care. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that I heard you earlier say about, you know, Trump's statement about we have all the material they don't and that mainstream media needs to pick that up. Right. Well, I'll have you know, I was watching some and they are picking it up. Oh, good. Time. Good. Because yeah. Louise and I watched, uh, I mean, we were doing show prep this morning, but for about three hours we were going back and forth between MSNBC and CNN and I never saw it. I'm glad that they're picking it up. Good. 
Right, because it's like noon here. So, you know, this has been going on in the last hour. And the other thing, too, was that Mitt Romney made a statement about the Dems, saying that the Dems calling everything an outrage is dangerous because it loses its meaning. Well, let's flip that to Trump saying everything's a hoax, everything's unfair, everything's a disgrace. I don't know these people. You know, this is ridiculous. You know, um, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, Deb. I want to get some more callers in here, but thank you. Your points were very well made. Pam in Charlestown, New Hampshire. Hey, Pam, what's up? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hi, Tom. Thank you, hon. Nice talking to you again. I just want everyone to really be careful because any Democrat who gets a nominee is going to be accused of a crime. We don't have an attorney general. We don't have a Senate. Joe was never even accused of being corrupt until he wanted to run. Same with Hillary, and we're falling into the same trap. So whoever gets a nomination, they're going to go find a crime, and they're going to accuse you. So everyone should be really careful to have the government accuse you of a crime you did not. We're falling into the same trap as we did in the 2016. Yeah, I agree. And people need to just be careful because it could be Bernie that's accused of a crime or Elizabeth Warren. We just need to be really careful because no one's accused of a crime until they run, Tom. And you're in New Hampshire, you know, where politics is a spectator sport, and you certainly know what you're talking about. Pam, thank you for the call, and thanks for sharing that with us. Michael in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hey, Tom, I have a silly comment, but I think one that has to be made. Okay. Trump keeps calling any investigation into him a witch hunt. Right. And locally, we have, we have a response to corrupt politicians that call investigations witch hunts. And that is, it must be a witch hunt because it looks like we caught a witch. Okay. Setting aside the slur on witches, but yeah, I get it. So, okay. Uh, okay. Michael, thank you. That's a good one. Jeff in Portland. Uh, hey, Jeff, what's up? Hey, good morning, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. First off, Congressman Pocan was exactly right when he said, as it stands, it's not a trial. Until we see witnesses and documents, let's not call it a trial. Call it an affront to the Constitution, part of an ongoing anti-democratic... Let's call it a cover-up. Call it a trial. Yeah, a cover-up. Okay. Um, And furthermore, Tom, Time.com posted a very good piece by Martin London on Monday where he persuasively articulated what the Constitution says about impeachment and how it gives Chief Justice Roberts the full power to preside over the trial and therefore allow witnesses and documents. Tom, does Roberts really want to go down in history as the first Chief Justice to not have witnesses in an impeachment trial? I I think think he does. He's also going down in history as the guy who gutted the Civil Rights Act or the the Voting Rights Act, or both, arguably. He's going down in history for all kinds of horrible things. But that's the that's the point the Democrats have to hammer on. You know, let, uh, this is the 16th impeachment trial. They have tried to. They have they have made and that the, presentation several times. Now they, they haven't called out Roberts by name. That would be a breach of decorum. Uh, although I, if I was doing it, I might. But I'm know, not sure have, how to pressure well, John Roberts. I don't think there's any way to do it. The guy's got a lifetime appointment. He's completely independent. His office doesn't even take phone calls. I mean, you know, from from voters and things. Senator Van Hollen did introduce an amendment to McConnell's rules that would have allowed Roberts to rule on whether there's witnesses or not. Mm. It did get shot down. But the main point should be that those rules that McConnell instituted are unconstitutional in that they curtail Robert's power to preside. Jeff, here's the problem. I I don't disagree with you on any of this. The problem is that we're we're talking about yesterday's battle. This battle was fought and won by the Republicans by and large. And we've got to work with what we have at this point. And I don't think that you can rely, you know, the salvationistic thinking, you know, if somebody will save us, John Roberts is not going to save us. We have to save ourselves. So, you know, I get your point, Jeff. I agree with your point. But I don't see any way to change those Senate rules now. Nettie in Melbourne, Florida. Hey, Nettie, what's on your mind today? Trump's lawyers are doing an excellent job, you know, following the playbook about lying and lying and lying, Mm. and pretty soon everyone will believe them. Okay, my senators are Medicare, Scott, and God-loving Rubio. I call them every day. Does it do any good? I mean, do they even listen to me? Yes. Uh, of course, I don't talk to them because I just leave a voice. That's Actually, they do. They, they, have, they, they will have a staff person who will typically have a sheet in front of them with a list of issues, and they'll just check off. You know, somebody called about this, and they're in favor of it. Somebody called about that, and they're opposed to it, that kind of thing. So the uh, members of Congress at the end of every day, typically, I mean, you know, it varies from office to office, but typically they will get a list of, okay, today you had, you know, 75 people who called about impeachment, and uh, 54 of them were in 
favor and the rest were against, or you had 32 people who, call, who called about, you know, animal cruelty or whatever. That's how it works. So keep doing it. So should I keep calling them yes. every day? Well, I'm not okay. sure about every day. You may you may lose your potency or credibility unless it's your senator. But even then, if you're saying the same thing every day, they will start ignoring you. Okay. So, so okay. I would right, do it you. You know, once or twice a week. Nettie, thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's up? I was watching the hearings last night, and I'm going to tell you something. Dynamite comes in small packages. I want to give a shout-out to Jerry Nadler, the little five foot eight man, but this guy is strong. He, he started is. calling the president's legal team. He started calling them liars, and he got pretty aggressive with it. And so the chief justice had to tell him that, you know, he didn't chastise him real bad, but he told him to kind of simmer it down a little bit. But what I took from that is I think that's what the demos need to start doing, what that Christian pastor Doug Collins does, get a little spirit to themselves, and just get down to the nitty-gritty and start calling these guys out what they are. They're liars and they're subverting the United States Constitution. And that's what we need to do, in my humble opinion. And thank you for taking the call. You're welcome, Morris. It would be interesting to kind of game that out because if Nadler repeats that today and uses the word lie again, like he did last night, which was pretty amazing. I mean, you just don't use that word when you're referring to people in the House or Senate. And yesterday, Adam Schiff was very, very circumspect. You know, when Jay Sekulow lied, Adam Schiff said, well, I don't know if he knew that he was intentionally, I don't, I don't believe he was intentional, or words to that effect. I, I don't know if he was intentional in, in putting out that disinformation or misinformation, but uh, let me correct the record. I mean, he did it very elegantly. Nadler last night, I mean, maybe it was frayed tempers, maybe, but, but the point is, and to your point, Morris, and I think spot on, that was what got the most coverage this morning, was John Roberts slapping down Jerry Nadler. Now, what I thought was disappointing was that most of the television networks didn't play the part where Jerry Nadler says, you lie. That kind of saddened me, but what the heck. Bill in Lake Elsinore, California. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Good. What's up? Um, I got a brief side note about the uh, demonstration at Farmer John mm -hmm. last night. If you want to hear, sure. uh, Joaquin Phillips is a super gentleman. What an outstanding individual. Thank you. Because this, this place south of Los Angeles in the city of Vernon, there's no residents. It's an industrial-only city. And uh, it gets pretty scary down there, if you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I, I think all the members... Don't complain when the checks come through, if you know what I mean. Thank you. You're welcome. So you're basically what, you know, I, I'm guessing what you're saying is that, uh, you know, keep, keep the money coming. And this is one of the ways, by the way, that Mitch McConnell and back in the day, Lyndon Johnson, I, don't, I doubt this was the case with Franklin Roosevelt, but, you know, the, the majority leader for the Senate, one of the ways that they control their caucus, and for that matter, the Speaker of the House, is they've got their own PAC or super PAC or both, and they get donations, and they decide who gets that money. Donald in Aurora, Illinois. Hey, Donald, what's up? I wonder why they didn't go with the emoluments clause. They could have brought in the money that if the taxpayers are spending going to his golf courses, the time that he had the U.S. military spend $17.2 at a Scottish airport near a Trump resort. They've got so much on him, and since it's coming out of the pockets of the American people, maybe that might enrage them, and that will be very hard to defend. But they're not bringing that up. Sometimes I wonder where the Democrats are. I think what they're doing, Donald, is they're saying, okay, everybody in America understands a shakedown. Everybody in America understands the old mafia movies where, hey, nice little business you got here, nice little restaurant you got here, be a shame if something happened to it. Everybody gets that. Not everybody gets what an emolument is or how money moves, and Trump could always say, well, well, you know, in Scotland, I mean, they had to land somewhere and this was an appropriate. And uh, well, you know, my hotel, there was just there is literally no defense for what Trump did what about, with regard to Ukraine. What about the number of times he went to a golf outing? You know, Barack Obama went golfing. Yes, Trump went golfing at his own resorts. And frankly, the fact that he didn't put his stuff in a blind trust should be an argument against him. But neither did George Washington, which Republicans will point out to you every time you bring this up. George Washington, Mount Vernon wasn't just a plantation. It was a business. They were making metal there. They were making, they were fabricating things. They were making furniture. They were doing all kinds of stuff, all with slave labor, I would add. But George Washington never put that in a blind trust. There's a long history of presidents maintaining their businesses when they go into office, which is not to say that it's right, but it's to say that it would be much harder to prosecute an emoluments clause thing than a shakedown. And so I think actually they're doing the right thing. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's up? All this is just a charade. It's all just window dressing. I don't think so. From what, how so? 
Donald Trump committed a crime. He conspired with people in his administration to withhold money that the law says he had to disperse. This is this is a, uh, uh, you know, the government accounting office came right out and said he broke the law. This is a crime. And he broke the law in order to in order to get dirt on Joe Biden or to manufacture dirt on Joe Biden. And that was to promote his own candidacy for president. It doesn't get clearer than that, Jared. I don't I, I don't get what you're saying is a charade. I agree that he committed crimes, but he's committed a lot worse crimes than that. I'll cite the statistic till I'm blue in the head, but air wars specifically cite that Donald Trump has killed more civilians in nine months than Barack Obama did in eight years with drone strikes. Right, but the, I, you know, Jared, I get that. And, and both of them, both Obama and Trump, have been moving away from troops on the ground and toward drone strikes. But that said, Again, the rebuttal from the Republicans will be, well, Obama did it. And where do you draw the line? How do you calibrate that? I guarantee you, Obama never called up a foreign government and said, hey, will you find some dirt on my opponent? Never happened. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, what's up? Can't believe that this is a sham trial. They're refusing any witnesses. To the extent that the Republicans are refusing witnesses, you could say it's a sham trial. But to say it's a sham trial because of the charges that were brought against Trump, I disagree strongly. Yeah, they denied us witnesses who had information. Right. I mean, solid information. Right, and America has seen that. I mean, that was so brilliant about what the Democrats did yesterday. I thought it was just extraordinary. Corky, thank you for the call. Ben in Seattle. Hey, Ben, what's up? I wanted to go back to Supreme Court John Roberts' statement that this is a deliberative body. And it made me wonder, why is he calling it the most deliberative body in the world? Right. Number one is, is he sort of overriding the Supreme Court as a deliberative body? No, the Senate has always been, well, not always, but throughout my lifetime, certainly, the Senate has been referred to as the greatest deliberative body in the world. The House is the second greatest. It's almost a cliche. It's used so often to describe the Senate. And they have these rules for decorum where you don't call each other liars and you don't call Dick Cheney a war criminal and all that kind of stuff, as I described earlier. Okay, I think I understood that's what he was trying to get at, but it seemed like it was out of place to me because after several amendments, he brings that up. And then the Senate voted party line, which didn't sound very deliberative to me. The uh, deliberative honestly. part is the debate part. The vote part, <laughs> you know, that can be partisan and it often has been. Uh, in fact, it has been since the founding of the Republic. But what Roberts was saying was basically, we've got rules for decorum. We've got rules for how we behave around here, and you need to follow those rules. Ben, thanks for the call. Seraph in St. Paul, Minnesota, watching on Facebook. Hey, Seraph, what's up? Good. How you doing, Tom? Listen, I want to speak on one particular issue, and that issue is power. Power and force are two totally different things. The Senate, which is run by the Republicans, they have one purpose right now, and that is to maintain power by use of force. Right. Trump works for them because he has this forceful persona. That's all it is, is a persona. And because of that persona, it works with his constituents because his constituents overall are people who find wrestlers powerful. Right. They're authoritarian followers. I agree with you, sir. Right. So with that said, with that said, we all know that this is going to end up like Clinton when he was impeached. I'm not sure that's true. I'm interested to see if that wouldn't be, but I I can't see how it would be anything other than that. I think at a certain point, see, what's going to happen is if four or more Republicans peel off from Donald Trump, and it'll probably happen toward the end of the trial if it happens at all then the dam is going to break and everybody's going to come flooding out and Trump's going to get removed from office. It's a real long shot, but it's not impossible. David in Barstow, California. Hey, David. Hey, Mr. Hartman. How are you? Good. We have uh, about a minute, I think, left here. Okay, I'll make it quick. Uh, Oh, we've got two seconds. David, I'm sorry. You're very familiar with Hello? Yeah, David, I'm sorry. I I misread my clock. I thought I had a minute. I didn't. I was out of time. Um, Call back again tomorrow, please. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy requires you. Like Demos, you know, people, us. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it, and tell your friends how to find progressive media. Turn them on to what you're listening to. Share it with them as widely as you can. We'll see you tomorrow.
been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.